Welcome to another episode of Round 3 Speak, the podcast. That intro music brought to you once again by Solomon Black. Find him at chrisblackohio.com. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us on another special Round 4 Speak episode of the podcast as we welcome back Mrs. Lawson and Mercy Warren. Of course, Mr. Lawson is here too. Wish we could ditch him, but unfortunately, if we did that, Mrs. Lawson wouldn't be here, so we got to take him too the sacrifices we make but that also means we are without patrick henry this episode uh we will miss him and we will look forward uh to another episode of hearing his headlines to start off an episode but with that we do have another millennials bracket uh episode and this one is a part in part one we will have the top 80 comedy movies square off against each other we have 22 out of the 32 movies in this episode and 80s movies in general you know what they're fun they're really overly city and we get to see the prime of many comedy legends like eddie murphy john candy dan Aykroyd, chevy chase uh, richard pryor and even rick moranis uh in their all-time glory so in a special part two episode we will do the final 10 episodes before doing something similar to what we did in the last bracket episode where we brought back four movies in the final four, I think this time we might bring back four movies that weren't on the list that are also really good and give them a chance to see if they can take down, take down the top four contenders. But having said all that, let's get into this episode and have some fun. All right, everybody. Here we go. Group one, number one movie, going against number two movie, National Lampoon's Vacation versus A Christmas Story. So, National Lampoon's Vacation came out in 1983. It stars Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, Randy Quaid, and Anthony Michael Hall. And this movie, of course, everybody can relate to it. It's a great road trip movie. You know, anybody from, I think, our generation can relate. Having said that, I don't really like that. I hate the dog dragging scene when they drag that dog. And, like, you don't see it, but I'm such a dog lover. I hate it. It makes me cringe. That's a stupid scene. Thank you. Yep. But it was also, you know what? I'll give that movie kind of credit. When it came out in 1983, it was shock comedy at a time where there wasn't that much going on. You know, at that time, I think it would have been just out of, like, it, it was very classic National Lampoon, Mad TV that, you know, I think that generation in the 60s and 70s grew up and they got a great dose of that. Um, the second movie, uh, Christmas Story, came, also came out in 1983. And that stars Peter Billingsley, Darren McGavin, and it was narrated by the writer, uh, Sean Shepard. Um, you know, I have a kind of fun fact about that movie, too. It's an iconic movie, and I think everybody remembers that classic uh, restaurant scene at the end with the Chinese restaurant. And as part of that, the actress who played the mom, uh, let's see here, Melinda Dillon, she was given a different script from the other actors when they were doing that scene. And in that scene, the duck 
in her script, the duck wasn't supposed to get its head cut off. So that was a shock to her. She wasn't expecting that. And the kids knew it was happening. So if you watch, the kids were kind of giggling in anticipation of that. And her reaction was genuine. So I thought that was hilarious. We kind of judge it a little differently today. Um, and I think that it is hilarious that Ralphie's told he's going to shoot his eye out. And he almost does at the very end. So I have talked a lot on that. And I will throw it over to Mercy War now. Okay, so I have seen both of these movies. Um, as far as National Lampoon Vacation movies go, obviously there is more than one of them. It became a little bit of a series, and I know there was a reboot in the late in a couple years back. Um, as far as those goes, this is not my favorite one of those movies, but it is still pretty good. As far as the Christmas story goes, I love anything having to do with Christmas. And Christmas Story is just a classic. I know on Christmas Day, um, certain channels have it playing all day long. So I feel like that movie is just more of like a nostalgic thing for me. Whether, as far as Christmas movies goes, it's really not my favorite either. But that movie just has a very strong nostalgic tie for me. All right, the Lawsons. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having us on. Uh, this is... Uh... Lawson and uh, we will have Goody Lawson join us um, at some point here but just wanted to thank the listeners again for tuning in to another uh, movie review of the 1980s uh, we initially actually planned on doing like an 80s 60s and 70s uh, comedy group but when we looked at it we were like wow there's actually a lot of 80s of good 80s comedies so there's enough to uh, you know actually do a, a list just of the 80s so I think it was kind of better than than we all thought it was and um, you know I mean we're obviously a little bit younger, so these movies came out, you know, some of us weren't even born during the 80s, and um, others of us were just kind of getting getting our lives going, so, uh, you know, obviously we have a different perspective on these movies than I think, you know, older generations, and I think that will come out in some of our reviews, but uh, National Vacation, vacation um, great movie, uh, just kind of a fun fact, um, this actually, this movie killed station wagon sales because of the way the station wagon, like, performed in the movie they think like they said that um station wagon sales really dropped after this movie so that's kind of funny and then uh chevy chase needed a box office hit when this movie came out he only had like two movie hits from uh 76 to 82 and um that was foul play foul play and a movie that will be on this list later uh caddyshack so i mean this was kind of like a pretty important movie for chevy chase and um really kind of build built up his stardom uh, Christmas Story, you know, I, I think it's kind of funny that this is the movie that, I think it's a TBS that chooses to play every mm-hmm. single Christmas, I yep. mean, all day long. Um, you know, good Christmas movie. I, I probably would, like, pick other ones over it, honestly. Um, and I kind of almost wish there was a little bit more variety in Christmas. Like, instead of playing one movie all day long, I think they kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, I actually have some friends uh, way up in Cleveland and um, so I've actually visited the house before, and I would say if you're ever in Cleveland, it's it's definitely worth if you're into the movie at all. It's definitely worth a stop. They got some pretty cool memorabilia. You know, I would add it to one of the, I guess, Clevelandy tourist sites with uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, I think the Christmas Story House is worth a stop. So both very good movies pitted up against each other. Um, just wanted to give a quick box office numbers. Um, Vacation um, earned about sixty one million dollars. So I'm going to give the box office numbers throughout this podcast, just for FYI. Um, you know, they're, they're probably not exact because box office numbers really aren't ever exact. Different lists have different numbers. But this was kind of like the initial numbers I got. 
So again, Vacation Movie, $61 million. Um, it was second on the Vacation Movie List series. It was behind the Christmas Vacation, and it was um, pretty It was almost double the European Vacation and a little bit ahead of the Vegas Vacation, which is actually my least favorite of the group. Um, and then Christmas Story only made about $20 million during its debut, which I think is kind of you know interesting that a movie with that low of a box office has become such a holiday classic. So uh, some interesting facts. I also think it's interesting they chose to um, – they, they had it be set in Detroit, even though it was almost entirely filmed in Cleveland. I have no idea why they didn't just say – it's Cleveland. Maybe that was something that you know they thought would be more marketable or something. I don't know. I saw that actually when I was reading it, they actually wanted it. I don't know if it's true or not, but they wanted it to be based on like a small Indiana town at first too. So I don't know. I can't remember if that changed in the movie. And I mean, because it was clearly Cleveland, but uh. yeah, again, I don't know why they did that. Um, but yeah, I think I, I agree. The Chinese restaurant scene is probably the scene that's probably aged the worst. Just for the PC crowd, but uh, I think you, you kind of have to go back again. There's you know there's a bunch of jokes in these '80s movies that aren't really as PC. Um, you know, people call other people retards in some movies, and yeah. of course that's something that would be you know just kind of almost shockingly poor taste today. Yeah, uh, just you kind of have to remember the times when you watch some of these movies. That's very true. So we get into the voting now, and actually just in another small thing about Christmas Story that I, I thought was pretty interesting as well, that the actors from that movie, the surviving ones, especially Peter Billingsley, when that movie's played every year, probably why TBS does it, is they they almost get no money at all. Like, the uh, the actors who are in that movie get no, um, what is that, uh, um, the word I'm thinking for? Like, royalties. <laughs> royalties, thank you, thank you, royalties, yeah. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word right now. Yeah, they, they get pretty much nothing for that movie, so it's probably really cheap. And that's kind of surprising that movie only made $20 million and it's become such... I, I can't remember a Christmas where I haven't watched that movie. So, all right, as we get into the voting, this is a tough one. I like both of these movies, obviously, uh, but I'm going to give my vote to Christmas Story. Quick fun fact before I give you my vote. Um, the little boy who plays Ralphie... Peter Billingsley. Yeah, actually plays an elf in the movie Elf as well. So he just continued his trend with Christmas movies. Um, in between these two movies, I will give my vote to Christmas Story as well. Okay, the Lawson's going to actually vote for Vacation. So we got our first tiebreaker. I know it's early. and uh, Oh, nope. I actually, I already have the INDB scores. Oh. Look I... at Scott. Scott Barnes. On the ball already. That's right. I have a IMDb score for every movie. Every movie. Okay, so National Lampoon's Vacation has a IMDb score of 7.4 out of 10. Very high. And kind of shockingly, Christmas Story has an IMDb score of 7.9 out of 10. So Christmas Story gets the win, unfortunately, because the people know what they like. So, I was pretty close about uh, National Lampoon's Vacation. It is. It, it it's not my favorite out of the four, uh, you know, canon ones. But I still think it's pretty funny. But Christmas Story, I think it's my vote. All right. So we get into the next pairing, and that is number three, Sixteen Candles versus number four, Look Who's Talking. So Sixteen Candles came out in 1984, starring Molly Ringwald, Anthony Michael Hall. Uh, John and Joan Cusack and Jamie Gertz, Gertz, Jamie Gertz. Um, so I, 
I won't say much about this movie. I don't think it was really meant for me. I've seen it. It kind of blends in together with all those other ones that Molly Ringwald, Molly Ringwald's in. You know, Pretty in Pink and Breakfast... Maybe Breakfast Club, not so much. But, you know, it, it's not really my movie too much. Uh, but Look Who's Talking came out in 1989, starring John Travolta, Christy Alley, Olympia Dukakis, and Bruce Willis as the voice of uh, the baby. Um, it, it is a really funny movie. And Amy Heckerling... Uh, was also who was also the the writer was involved in writing for the National Lampoon movie. Um, but besides that, she's also known for Clueless, The Office, and Fast Times at Richmond High. So she has a pretty great resume uh, to her name there. So with that, uh, I've said what I want to say. I will turn it over to Mercy. I so I have actually seen both of these movies as well. Sixteen Candles, iconic. Molly Ringwald was. An iconic staple of the 80s she's done a few things since then but her heyday really was the 80s so i will say that this movie has not aged well at all there are some racist pieces um there is a part where they drug somebody and then say that they can have sex with them like it is it has not aged well there's some jokes that just would not be able to do able to happen today so, I mean, with that being said, you kind of have to take that movie. It's a 80s classic, but also you have to take it with a grain of salt because it would not be made today. You want me to read this? Um, also, fun fact, they didn't have enough money to air condition the gym for the dance scene, so the temperatures were constantly over 100 degrees. And it's very uncomfortable for all the actors and crew. And then the next movie, Look Who's Talking is a very good movie it kind of re-instituted john travolta's acting career obviously he was iconic in greece but there was like a lull where he wasn't really doing much john travolta's first act this was his first acting role in four years following a series of critical and commercial failures from 1978 to 1985 is that all you got to say mercy yes Alrighty, over to the lawsons because I know, uh, Mercy, you picked Sixteen Candles. Is the reason why you picked that movie over some of the other, um, you know, that kind of like Molly Ringwald set of movies? Is there is this your favorite of that grouping, or just the eighties, or? No, and I honestly probably could have interchanged it with Breakfast Club, which also has potentially problematic moments. They pretty much all do. Um, so I guess really it could have been been interchangeable with pretty much any Molly Ringwald movie. Strong endorsement. So, I'll just give you some quick facts. Um, so, 16 Candles made uh, $24 million at the box office, which when I go to these movies, I feel like if you're in the 60s or 70s, that's kind of like an average return of this group. So, a little bit lower um, than what I guess some people might expect. And then, um, Look Who's Talking, which I couldn't believe, made $297 million at the box office. Yeah, that was a huge hit. It, I knew that. Yeah, and like uh, Mercy mentioned earlier, um, big hit for John Travolta, who you're, I think it was his second highest grossing movie um, after Grease. So, like I said, he had a bunch of other flop um, hits of the box, or flop movies in the 80s and 90s at the box office. So, that was huge for him. Yeah, they were all in preparation for his greatest flop, Battlefield Earth. So, I think he had a lot of uh, preparation leading up to that movie. I just, like, watching Grease, I thought he did a good job. Like, I watched. We watched it kind of recently. He's just not a good actor. I just don't know how he gets so many acting jobs, honestly. Like, and then you know, 
people say he's like very attractive. You know, not that I just don't really I don't really see the appeal of John Travolta just compared to everybody else. I don't know how he became so famous. Honestly. When he was younger, he was cute. Now he's kind of weird looking. I thought I thought even in the eighties he was kind of like I thought in the Wolf of Talking movie he was kind of weird looking on his way. So, um, but yeah, I we watched Look Look Who's Talking um, recently and. It was kind of better than I remembered. Um, it was, you know, they, in almost the beginning, could be like a, could fill in for a health class a little bit. So I think they kind of, kind of give a parody of the birth. And, yeah. Um, they kind of, you know, they kind of give some, it's kind of funny because some of the things that are dated, like with the baby powder scene, like that's something you would never do with babies today. And like having bumpers on the crib, something again you would never see today. And having the baby in the front seat of a cab facing forward when it's like really young so some you know some parenting differences but actually i thought it was a pretty good movie um christy alley i feel like just kind of played her same role from cheers as like going after the rich guy instead of going with like the guy that actually was nicer and she likes so i thought that was kind of fun about that movie yeah agreed um it i i do like the uh, sequels too that came out i know look who's talking to and look who's talking now were actually uh, pretty funny movies as well. But we are judging this one, and we can get into the voting here. So, between 16 Candles and Look Who's Talking, I believe Look Who's Talking is a better movie. My vote is also going to go towards Look Who's Talking. We also will vote for Look Who's Talking. Alright, so a queen, queen sweep. Clean sweep. Oh, everybody out there, hope you're enjoying my antics. Alright, so... Moving on to the next pairing, we have number five. Wait, did I skip one? No, I did not. Number five, uh, Spaceballs versus number six, Back to the Future. Two really funny sci-fi comedies. So Spaceballs came out in 1987, uh, written and directed by uh, Mel Brooks. Uh, Stars John Candy, Rick Moranis, Bill Pullman, Michael Winslow. Joan Rivers also did a voice. She was the dot matrix. And a somewhat funny fact about this movie that i like is george lucas was actually a huge fan of it and he wrote a letter afterwards to mel brooks uh saying how much he liked it but before he allowed him to spoof the movie he also made one uh requirement that mel brooks not do any kind of merchandising at all for the movie he didn't want them to profit at all from uh the from that part of the movie and it was honored so that's why it's really hard to find any kind of uh spaceballs merchandise so, also, we have the 1985 Back to the Future, you know, an iconic movie. Michael J. Fox, you know, uh, getting off of uh, Family Ties or Facts of Life. I think it was Family, Family, Ties. Family Ties. Yeah, and he was doing both at the same time. It was really crazy. If you see the new uh, Netflix documentary, he would film Family Ties in the morning and Back to the Future at night. Uh, he barely got any sleep. But also in there is Christopher Lloyd and Leah Thompson. So, another... Uh, I don't think there's really too many fun facts about Back to the Future. That might be, uh, um, I would say you have to watch that documentary. It's really good. You know, I think originally they wanted to call it the man from Pluto or spaceman from Pluto, which I think is <laughs> pretty silly, but, um, I think, uh, actually that's pretty much all I have to say for that. Um, Mercy Warren. Sure. Um, so, it was Back to the Future and what now? Spaceballs and Back to the Future. Okay. Anyhow, so Spaceballs. Um, I have seen it. 
it's okay. It has funny moments. It is not my favorite. I'm I tend not to enjoy parody movies, which largely that is. I just the main thing I remember about it is Pizza the Hut is basically the main thing I remember regarding that movie. As far as Back to the Future goes, as far as Back to the Future goes, on Netflix, as Scott was saying, there is a documentary called The Movies That Made Us. There's different episodes of it. There is a Back to the Future episode. I do as well. Highly recommend watching it because it does explain a lot of the creation of the movie as well as some hiccups. Originally, Michael J. Fox was not supposed to be Marty McFly. They actually shot a lot of the movie with a different actor, which I thought was interesting. And, I mean, that's just an iconic 80s movie. Obviously, there is two... Um, sequels to it as well the second one is also very strong the third one not so much but we are basing it on the first one which is a very strong iconic 80s movie even though if you hear the plot line summed up it does sound kind of messed up without seeing the movie <laughs> off to the lessons so yeah so Spaceballs obviously you know the Star Wars parody um, I like John Candy is in it um, you know I like the part where he's like I'm half man half dog I'm my own best friend that's one of my funny lines um just again i think it's one of i can't remember the director was uh, mel brooks right that was yes. one of so just you know, like mel brooks humor you know fast-witted um you know some puns and just a creative take on star wars which i thought was really funny um and it made 38 million dollars so not a ton of not a huge box office hit but not bad um compared to the other movie back to the future which made 389 million dollars so that was a huge box office hit. Um, I think if you want like a quick summary about like how was this movie created, I would listen to John Mulaney's um, <laughs> quick little sketch on, on Back to the Future because when you think of the plot of the movie and the incest and like the Libyan terrorists and and a strange like a deranged nuclear scientist, um, it's kind of amazing how that was like pitched and Hollywood was like, yeah, that's a great idea. <laughs> Just a weird. I think that's that's one of John Mulaney's uh, funniest uh, sketches. It is. And um, I'm going to introduce Goody Lawson to the podcast so she can get started. But um, she told me actually just today that Huey Lewis made a cameo in this movie, which I did not know. And I am a huge Huey Lewis and the News fan, so uh, I thought that was a cool fact. But here she is, the one and only Goody Lawson. Thanks for that intro. Yep, he actually, I think, wrote, like, two songs. I don't know if they were specifically for the movie, but, and then he makes a cameo at the beginning of the movie, of the first movie. Um, just some fun facts about Back to the Future. Apparently, Einstein the dog was supposed to be originally a pet chimpanzee, mm-hmm. which the, um writers and the producers kind of went another way because they said no good movie has a person with a pet chimpanzee in it so let's make it a dog instead which the dog is really cute um also ronald reagan also really loved back to the future the first one he liked that he was a referenced in it by um christopher lloyd's character And then another, my last fun fact, the famous DeLorean time machine was almost going to be a Ford Mustang. So that wouldn't have made that car famous, if I feel, because Ford Mustang is already a good car. So um, on to the voting. Well said. I like those facts. So 
it is a kind of a tough vote for me. I like both of these movies, and I just, my one of my more favorite moments from Spaceballs too. It may not be everybody else's, but when Dark Helmet says, you know, that famous like I am your father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate, and then he's like, what's what's that make us? And he's like, absolutely nothing. I just like that makes me laugh every time. But having said that, I, they break the fourth wall a lot in that movie, which kind of annoys me. And back to the Ludicrous oh. Park is also really funny. Yeah. What's that? Ludicrous Speed is also pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. There are some funny. I mean, it's great writing by Mel Brooks. But I just like every time they break the fourth wall, and when they go back and rewatch their own movie to try to, it's it's kind of funny. But then I'm like. They just do it a little too much. I mean, Back to the Future, I mean, it's exciting. It's, you know, the whole thing at the end with the lightning and trying to make everything work. You know, it's just a great action sci-fi comedy movie. And my vote goes to Back to the Future. My vote as well goes to Back to the Future. Vinny Lawson is voting for Back to the Future. Yeah, and so is Lawson. Uh, again, props to Spaceballs. Funny take. Probably one of the better parodies um parody movies but yeah not up to back to the future agreed and i think we all agree so that is fun all right going on to the next pairing which will close out group one we have beetlejuice which came out in 1988 versus clue which came out in 1985 and beetlejuice of course starred uh, michael keaton as beetlejuice alec baldwin gina davis Catherine O'Hara, Jeffrey Jones, and Wyona Ryder, bleh. and uh, Clue, the based on the uh, Bradley something game, Milton you know the Bradley. Milton Bradley, thank you, the board game, uh, starred Eileen Brennan, Tim Curry, Christopher Lloyd, Michael McKean, and Martin Mall. Both two really funny movies. Um, man, that's a tough one to pick between. I mean. Very Tim Burton-ish for the first one. I mean, it's it's almost over-the-top Tim Burton, uh, in my opinion. And Clue, with the multiple endings, really... Uh, I know that wasn't how it was in the theaters, I don't think. I, I think when they had different uh, uh, releases, there was actually different endings for different movies where it was released. So I thought that was pretty cool. But I don't... Let's see here. So... I guess that's all I have to say about those two movies, so I will throw it over to Mercy Warren. Okay, so for me, Beetlejuice is one of those movies that I have to watch every Halloween. It's very it's very Tim Burton-y, as um, Scott Barnes had said, but it is just still a staple that I do have to watch every year, even though Michael Keaton is barely in it, even though the title character is barely in it. Um, he apparently also ad-libbed 90% of his lines... And he is also actually only in 14 minutes and 30 seconds of the film total. So, I know... He kind of still stole the movie, mm-hmm. even only being in there that little bit of a time. And I know I've heard that, like, Alec Baldwin says, like, that movie is his, like, number one regret of his acting career, and being in that movie. So, I mean, I think he's fine in that movie. I like him in that movie, but apparently he doesn't like himself in that movie. Um, and I know they also turned it into a stage show that was popular before COVID hit. Um, as far as Clue goes, I've seen it a long time ago. Um, Tim, Cur- Tim Curry just kind of freaks me out. So, that's my thoughts on that. Over to the Lawsons. I'm a Tim Curry fan. He was the uh, pirate in Muppet Treasure Island. So, uh, 
you know, love that, love that acting by him. Um, my lovely wife is a much bigger fan of both these movies than I am. These actually really aren't my favorites. So I just want to say Beetlejuice uh, made $85 million at the box office, which is kind of like the median of our list. And uh, Clue made only $15 million. And I just, it, it, it cost about $15 million to make. So I just kind of like saw that it, it basically only broke even, at least after the initial box office. I'm sure it's made more as time goes by. But again, Goody's a, a way bigger fan of these movies than I am, so I'll turn it over to her. Thank you. Well, I just have to say Clue, I just love the board game. I think that's how I got into the movie or found out there even was a movie. Um, but I do have some fun facts about Clue. Tim Curry was actually the third choice for the role of the butler. Um, I know Rowan Atkinson, who's famously Mr. Bean, was also considered, but then they decided on Tim Curry. Uh, Carrie Fisher, who um, Princess Leia, was originally supposed to play Miss Scarlet, but she went into rehab when they were in production for the movie. Wow, shots fired at Carrie Fisher. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So that probably would have made it an even bigger movie. She was supposed to be the star, supposedly. And um, the role of Mrs. White became bigger in the movie when Madeline Kahn was cast as the role, and she's best known for, like, Young Frankenstein and Blazing Saddles. So, um, there is a really good cast, and there's a lot of big actors. It just didn't make, like, um, like Scott Barnes said, the alternate endings when you would go into the theater, I think that's interesting. That was, like, the first time they'd ever done that, but that didn't draw a big crowd to the theater for some reason. And Beetlejuice, I'm also, like, I will watch that once a year, just like um, Mercy. I think it's a it's like a cool, different movie. It's kind of, like, cheesy, the graphics and everything. But um, I'm a fan of Tim Burton movies, so I, I really like Beetlejuice. This is really tough because I feel like these are both kind of cult classics in their own way. So this is going to be a tough vote. All right, agreed with both of you there. So as we get into the voting, it is a tough choice, but um, I'm probably going to give mine to Clue. That's a movie I can probably watch more often than Beetlejuice. So I'll say Clue. Um, I'm actually going to give my vote to Beetlejuice. I'm going with Scott. I think between the two movies, I think Clue is an easier rewatch and just a more fun rewatch. And uh, he said Mrs. White was played by... Madeline Kahn. Yeah, she's one of, I mean, she's hilarious in, in Blazing Saddles, and so, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll go with Clue. All right. Oh, good, you will also go with Clue. And another fun fact that I remembered about Clue, if we need another one. Um, yes. <laughs> the scene where the singing telegram woman is shot, at, like, she's, like, starting to sing, and then she's shot by a mystery person, is a member of the Go-Go's, which is the, <laughs> was the, um, a famous 80s women's band. Yeah. <laughs> that is just a funny movie. I like all the hidden gems in there like that. So, And also, Tim Burton, or not Tim Burton, Tim Curry at the end of that movie when he's running around like trying to reenact all the murders with a knife and everything. One of the more funny scenes, I believe, in the 80s or movies in general. So we do have a winner there with Clue moving on to the next round. And that is it for Group 1. As we get into Group 2 here, we have some other great movies coming up. So the first one is at number nine, 
is Princess Bride versus number 10, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. So Princess Bride came out in 1987, and it starred Carrie Elwes, Manny Patekin, Robin Wright, Christopher Guest, Wallace Shawn, Andre the Giant, Fred Savage, and Peter Falk. A lot of big names in there, and uh, all of them perfect. Perfect casting for that movie. I have nothing bad to say about this movie at all. It's something that I can watch all the time. I, like, never get tired of it. Uh, so number 10 is Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. That came out in 1989. And that had Rick Moranis, Amy O'Neill, Thomas Wilson Brown. And so a couple of uh, semi-fun facts I think I have about those movies. Uh, Princess Bride, uh, when that movie premiered, Manny Patakin, who played Inigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepared to die. Um, he started weeping uncontrollably at the premiere. And his wife turned to him and asked why he was crying so much. And he said, you know, I'm never going to be in anything this good again. And I kind of agree with him. He's been in Homeland, and he think he played Papa Smurf in the Smurf movie. But I don't think uh, Manny really ever came in. He's good in Homeland. I'll see, I'll see the first couple seasons. He's good in Homeland. Okay. Yeah, and, and he, I do like him, and I can watch him. But uh, Princess Bride, he's just so great in that movie. And then for Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, uh, we found that in an early version of the script, there were originally five kids that were shrunk down instead of four. But they planned to kill off one of the kids during the sprinkler scene, and uh, they changed that. It would have made it a much darker, not very funny movie, I think, if they killed off one of the kids. That is my favorite fun, that is my favorite fun fact I think we've done in all the episodes. <laughs> That's pretty dark. That's pretty crazy. So, all right, over to Mercy. So I actually really do enjoy the movie Princess Bride. I think it has something for everybody. It has comedy elements. It has romance elements, fantasy elements. So I just kind of think that they do a good job kind of balancing that. Also, I like the framing device as it's a story being told by a grandpa to his sick grandkid. And every once in a while it cuts back to them like ta ta um, reading the story and Fred Savage kind of interjecting. So, I mean, I just really enjoy that movie. As far as Honey, I Shrunk the Kids go, it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, Rick Moranis, I just, in my brain, he's the same character in every movie he's in, as well as he's just kind of awkward to watch. He's kind of like the nerdy character. Um, I know in the late 80s, early 90s, that was, he was a big deal. Just he kind of, his characters just felt like they kind of were all the same to me. Off to the Lawsons. So yeah, Rick Moranis, he was also like the coach in uh, The Little Giants, which I think is a fun kids movie. Um, I actually picked Honey, I Shrunk the Kids just because I remember it being like a fun kind of like cool movie when I was like a little kid. And I was like, oh, that's, that should make the list when I saw it on like the, the list of the 80s movies. And I was kind of shocked. It made over $223 million. So, I mean, pretty huge box office hit. And even like this, they had like, I think there was two sequels or... Definitely one. The sequel made over $60 million. Yeah, Honey, I Blew Up the Kids was one of them. Yeah, I think that was the second one. <laughs> yeah, and that made like over $60 million. So, pretty successful franchise for what it is. Uh, but I agree with what you guys said. Princess Bride, I think, is almost like, for what it is, it's almost like the perfect movie. Um, the Andre the Giant casting was perfect. Mm -hmm. And if you haven't seen the 30 for 30 on Andre the Giant, I recommend it. Because they do show a little bit of the um, Princess Bride 
They give some sort of background to it in that was movie. Was it a 30 for 30, or was it like an HBO? It was HBO, special. yeah. Okay, HBO. Yeah, HBO special, yeah. So watch the HBO special. Yeah. Um, that gives you kind of a great perspective. But it would be inconceivable if you guys <laughs> don't vote for Princess Bride. <laughs> that is, the, I feel like that's the best part. And when he's, when he has to drink the drinks and mm-hmm. They're all poisoned, basically. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's the best, one of the better parts. Um, and it's also been a while since I've seen Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, but I also know it was a successful ride, I believe, a ride at like Universal mm-hmm. Studios yep. as well. And I remember riding that ride when I was younger, um, visiting Universal Studios, but it just had a lot of success. I, it, like I said, it's been a while since I've seen it, but it. It's shocking how well it did and just, like, how popular it was. To me, that's, it just seems a little crazy. I think everyone just, like, secretly liked that movie and didn't want to admit it. I think that's what this Probably. was. Probably. Rick is pretty likable in, like, mm-hmm. all of the movies that he's in. Like, uh, Mercy said, he just plays the nerdy, like, wholesome person or dad. So, um, off to voting. Alrighty, well said, everybody. Yeah, and actually, my... Many listeners listening to this may not know that um, I actually had brain surgery, two story, when I was very young, probably, uh, I think it was er- very early 90s. And one of the things I remember after being in the hospital for so long was they brought in the movie Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And I, wa- I would watch it um, probably multiple times a day. It was it really got me through, I remember as a kid, a really tough time when I couldn't get out of bed. And um, But having said that, Princess Bride 2 kind of gets my vote. It was a movie that was never supposed to happen. They never thought that it could get from the book to the movie could never become an adaptation of that but it did and it didn't i don't think it did that well in the box office like you said definitely not compared to honey i shrunk the kids but became such a cult hit afterwards and a huge following to this day still follows around those actors so princess bride in my my opinion i remember riding that ride down in um universal or mgm wherever it was as well it's like a 3d movie ride for honey i shrunk the kids but my vote also goes to princess bride yeah, Princess Bride, easily. Um, going off what Scott Barnes said, um, I believe Princess Bride just celebrated uh, like a big anniversary year, like during COVID, and a lot of celebrities um, were like acting out scenes and like funny acting out of the scenes, um, just to kind of get through COVID and give people some like happiness and entertainment so um my vote is also for princess bride i think that's a great movie um but yeah yeah nothing to take away from honey i shrunk the kids but that was a tough one to go against all right as we continue the second group here we have number 11 when harry met sally versus number 12 trading places so when harry met sally came out in 1989 starring of course meg ryan billy crystal carrie fisher was in there and bruno kirby so, let's see, um, what are we talking? Want to get to? Okay. So, besides for me, like when Harry Met Sally, it is a great movie. I mean, actually, I'm not gonna say it's a great movie. It it, they have, it has one great moment in it. And I think everybody knows what we're talking about. The restaurant scene, of course, is movie legend. It's a classic, classic moment. And was there's so many backstories and trivia about that you can get into. But it is one of those iconic. I'll have what she's having. Sorry to be the first person to say it. Little Crystal does a good job in that movie, too. 
just his, I feel like overall he does a good job. He does. He doesn't do a bad job really in anything. I mean, Billy Crystal's solid. I really liked him in uh, City Slickers 2. Not too much City Slickers 1, but City Slickers 2, I thought he was really good in that too. Um, he, comedic legend that I can't believe I didn't mention Billy Crystal in the, the opening thing there. But uh, also, of course, with Rob Reiner in there. Um, a lot of great one-liners too. Um, something that I thought that uh, uh, Meg Ryan actually said... Um, Actually, I'm sorry. Uh, the big speech at the end, I wanted to say, and uh, uh, you know, the when Billy Crystal saying everything he loves about Meg Ryan, I think it's funnier coming from Turk and uh, Scrubs than it is in the movie. But that's just me. So you also have Trading Places, which came out in 1983, starring Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis, Ralph Bellamy, and Don Amashi. So. Really funny movie, and again, a lot of those jokes probably, it doesn't age well, you know, I think uh, Dan Aykroyd did blackface, you know, you have white people saying the N-word a lot, you know, at different time, but I thought it was also really good because uh, uh, Eddie Murphy, it was actually supposed to be, it was funny, it was supposed to be another Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor movie, um, that's what it was signed up for, but Richard Pryor had to drop out of it, and Eddie Murphy didn't want Gene Wilder in it, because he didn't want to be the next Richard Pryor, he wanted to stand out on his own. And it seemed like a good thing that he did that, too, because, you know, I think that was one of the things that helped uh, launch Eddie Murphy's career. You can go into Beverly Hills Cop, which came out a year later. But I think him doing that helped him help separate himself, you know, from Richard Pryor and kind of get his own voice and really started to launch his career. So that's all I have to say about those two movies. Okay, so When Harry Met Sally is definitely an iconic romantic comedy movie. It's probably in my top five rom-coms. Um, it basically takes the question, can men and women be friends? And just puts that under the microscope. It kind of follows their friendship from when they took a ride together from like college to New York City. And then just kind of follow their lives as they fell in and out of love with other people. Until, of course, they had to get together at the end. When Meg Ryan was asked if men and women can be friends, apparently she said, yes, they can. I have a lot of platonic male friends, and sex doesn't get in the way. <laughs> and then also, in comparison to Trading Places, um, Scott Barnes says, I have seen this movie. I don't have any recollection of actually seeing this movie. You've seen this movie. I said it was a Christmas movie. We watched it. I can't believe you don't remember this movie. I do not. And I... One thing, I love Christmas, so if it was a Christmas movie, I'd probably remember it. I'm not doubting it's not a Christmas movie. I well, just don't it has think Christmas, I've seen it. P- part of a Christmas in it. I mean, it has a scene for Christmas and New Year's. Oh, you frustrate me. It is Harry me. Potter. Does that make that a Christmas movie? Like It's as Christmas as Die Hard, I feel like. Okay. So I will watch this movie again if I actually have seen it, but I don't have any recollection of actually seeing it. It sounds good. Lawson's. <laughs> I can see the frustration on Scott's face. It's, it is. We've seen this movie. We, I I, we've sat down it. and watched this movie. I do not oh. remember that. So, so Harry Met Sally, I think that I, I think that might be one of the movies that Goody has made me watch like the most. So many. Times. She's made me watch it so many times. I think I'm actually sort of starting to beginning to like it because I just I'm so familiar with it and I've seen it so many times. Yeah, I mean it's a good it's a good fun romantic comedy. I think it's pretty well done overall um i thought scott brought up a good point about training places i mean it's it's being criticized because of like you said some of the things are don't age well but the comedy is just absolutely fantastic in that movie uh you know dan Aykroyd just you know 
being a rich kid and, you know, having these two people essentially bet against him and destroy his life. And then they bring up Eddie Murphy to be the rich guy. And, you know, eventually they kind of get back at the old guys. Um, so I just think it's a, it's just a really fun movie. It's so, it's very fast paced. Um, and that's actually, it still has some relevance with the, uh, it was brought up in a congressional meeting not that long ago because it was like talking about the commodities market and someone re- referenced, uh, trading places or trading spaces. <laughs> so very funny movie. It's been a while since I've seen trading places. I remember liking it. I, I think, um, Mr. Lawson made me watch it. And again, it was a while ago, but I do enjoy Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy quite a bit. Um, but also, when Harry Met Sally is also one of my, uh, maybe one of my favorite romantic comedies, definitely in my top five as well. Um, I enjoy Rob Reiner, and I think, believe Nora Ephron was a part of that movie as well. Um, but my favorite quote is at the end when Billy Crystal says, when you realize you want to spend your, the rest of your life with someone, you want the rest of your life as far as soon as possible, because they've just been... And friends and like in a relationship and friendship for so long, and it's just they want to just get started with their life already. So, but I do like the relationships and the friendships. I think it's very like quirky and funny the humor in that movie. So I think they do a good job with that. Coding. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well said. All right. So between these two, uh, the overall funnier movie, in my opinion is Trading Places. I can't accurately critique a movie I've never actually seen. <laughs> so, um, Harry Met Sally is my vote. Just wanted to mention, um, I like the line, you know, the line is famous from movies, looking good, Billy Ray, feeling good, Lewis. That's yep. the, probably the Trading Places, or Trading Places classic. Yep. And uh, I think it's funny how in Coming to America, they... Oh, yeah. Because in, in the movie Training Places, they, like, I spoil alert from the 1980s, Dan Aykroyd and Danny Murphy get back to the old people for placing a $1 bet, basically on both of their lives. And they destroy the old the old guys based on, like, commodity training. And then in Coming to America 2, or Coming to America, Eddie Murphy kind of, like, they throw, like, some money in the dumpster They're or something like that. Like home. They're both, the old men are, like, homeless on the street. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, Danny Murphy just, like, throws cash and they, like, he gets it to him, and yeah. he's like, oh, yeah, because I think that's the yeah. funny, I think it's a funny connection between those two movies, which yeah. are both hilarious. I think uh, it's the funniest part of coming to America, and you wouldn't know that joke unless you saw Trading Places. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, like, I think, the importance of that movie. Um, I forgot to get the stats. Both movies earned about $90 million, so both pretty even as far as box office. Uh, so I would go with Trading Places over Harry Met Sally, although I think it's, again, it's, it's gain on me because I've watched so much. I'm going to force the tiebreaker and vote for when Harry met Sally. All righty. So with the results here, Trading Places, this is funny, they scored almost identical in the box office, and they scored almost identical in IMDb scores as well, with 7.5 out of 10, that being Trading Places. It loses to when Harry met Sally, which got a 7.6 out of 10. Oh, that's a tough loss. That is. Uh, so when Harry met Sally is moving on, a tough defeat going forward, but that is what we do here. We make the hard choices, people. 
All right, so group in group two still, we have number 13, Blues Brothers, versus number 14, The Goonies. Um, my gosh. Uh, Blues Brothers came out in 1980, uh, of course, during Dan Aykroyd, John Belushi, John Landis. John Candy was in there. And then we also have, uh, you know, cameos by Carrie Fisher, Ray Charles, Aretha Franklin, and James Brown. Hilarious, hilarious movie. And then number 14, The Goonies, which came out in 1985, starring Josh Brolin, Sean Astin, Corey Feldman, and Carrie Green. Um, both of these really funny movies. And I love Goonies as a kid. I watched that movie multiple times when I was in first grade, I remember. Um, a kind of fun fact about Goonies is that pirate ship at the end of it was real they built the entire ship inside and out and after filming it was offered for free to anybody who wanted it but obviously it was a logistical nightmare to get it so they destroyed the whole thing uh blues brothers um it another amazing movie and that summer like of 1980 when blues brothers airplane and caddyshack all came out what a time to be alive there very jealous of people older than i who were there but it competed with Caddyshack to be the hit movie of the summer, as they were both blown away later by airplane. And during the opening scene with the helicopter filming over the prison, the guards didn't know what that was. They weren't prepared for the helicopter. They actually thought it was spying or trying to plan some kind of escape, so they started shooting at it for real. Um, so that's pretty two interesting facts about those movies. All I have to say, Mercy Warren. Okay, so... Blues Brothers is a very good movie. It is iconic with their suits and their hats. Glasses. Glasses. I believe it started as a Saturday Night Live sketch, correct? Yeah, the characters were created on SNL. Um, My favorite part of that movie, I'm not going to lie, is the soundtrack. I really like um, Shake a Tail Feather that Ray Charles sings, as well as Think that Aretha Franklin does. I mean, there's also really funny moments when they go visit the nun and stuff, and at that car with the giant thing on the top, like the megaphone on top, is just hilarious to me in general. The iconic Blues Brothers car, mm -hmm. yeah. I actually saw that car at Universal Studios. It, like, drove around. Um, the Goonies I saw for the first time yesterday, so it is very fresh in my brain. I, As far as kid movies go, it was kind of, like, creepy and scary. I screamed a few times, so I don't know how a first grader could watch that movie and not have nightmares but um i do have to say the production value and design especially like when they're down underneath the restaurant like in that cave that was done very well i feel like that production value some of those characters were very very annoying the one like um lawrence i think they called him chunks at the end when he asked that the other brother to live with him he kind of redeemed himself in my mind slouch thought he wasn't his brother, a sloth. Oh, yeah, I get what yeah. you're saying, though. Yeah. Well, he, like, the other, like, Fratarelli brother or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He, that, he kind of redeemed himself in my eyes because I spent the whole movie thinking he was really annoying. So, I mean, it was, it was a good movie. It was a good ride. I enjoyed it, but um, it, like, wasn't my favorite. <laughs> Lawson's. So, it's funny. These aren't my favorite movies, like, on the list, honestly. Hmm. Um, Booth Brothers, I just, I didn't think it was that funny. I loved I love John Belushi. You know, I love Dan Aykroyd. Uh, you know, I think I agree. I think the music is one of the is very good in the movie. I just didn't think it was super funny. Uh, so I don't know. I, I just I just don't love it compared to other movies. And then the Goonies. I just have to tell a quick story. So in seventh grade, we watched this movie, and it was an English teacher, and she was kind of miserable just in, in general. 
And we watched like half the movie, but then she cut it off and she's like, oh, we'll watch the rest like the next day. But then she didn't never did that. She would just like have us watch like the, like in like five minute increments at the end of class. And we would spend, and we would spend half the time rewinding the movie because it was back in the day when you couldn't, especially the school system. Yeah. Jeez. So I mean, we spent like a month probably. I'm, I'm not kidding. We spent like almost a month probably watching the Goonies because that's wow. the way it was so stupidly done. So I don't think I've ever watched it since then. So I really don't have a good uh, image of that movie. So. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. that's just my seventh grade English class terrible movie memory. So I, I'll turn over to. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was really funny. Um, so like Mr. Ross and I also both I don't enjoy really these movies. I'm not gonna lie, to be honest. Um, it's been a while since I've seen both. I just I I tried to watch Blues Brothers. I found it long and boring. Um, I have the same things to say as um, my husband, but Goonies, uh, it's also been a while since I've seen it. We, we rewatched one of the movies recently, we rewatched Look Who's Talking, so we didn't um, get to rewatch a lot of them recently, but I think it has a good cast, and a lot of them like grew up to be serious characters that you see in other movies. <laughs> Alrighty, guys. Uh, I disagree with both of you. I think both of these. I think the uh, the humor in Blues Brothers is actually really funny, especially with the nun. Whenever they're swearing, she starts hitting them with the ruler, and uh, the way that Carrie Fisher keeps trying to kill uh, John Belushi's character, I think it's hilarious and just out of left field. That Nazis, you know, how they torment the Nazis the whole movie, and. Goonies is a great movie too, but for me, it gets frustrating to watch that movie. I have to watch it with subtitles because I can't understand what the kids are saying. They're all talking at once, all those actors. It really does feel like they're just kids in a situation, which is great for the movie, but as the watcher, you can't understand what the hell they're saying. But for me, the comedy and the music of Blues Brothers trumps out the Goonies. I completely agree. Sean Astin kind of annoys me in the Goonies. Like, just this character's optimism. I know that's a horrible thing to say, but um, Blues Brothers is my vote as well. Yeah, I'll vote for Blues Brothers as well, just because I think I like the music a little better. Um, it made $115 million in the office, the box office, and the Goonies made 125 So it's Pretty yes. close. I'll also put my vote to Blues Brothers. Ooh, a good sweep for the Blues. All right, this actually coming up here might be the hardest decision we have on this bracket. This is a tough one. To continue out, actually, to close out Group 2, we have National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation at 15 going against Airplane at 16. Uh, Christmas Vacation came out in 1989. Chevy Chase, Beverly D'Angelo, Johnny Galecki in this one, Randy Quaid again, uh, Juletta Lewis, Brian Doyle Murray. I think, uh, who's that lady from Seinfeld makes a cameo in there? Uh, Julie. Julia Louise Dreyfus. Thank you. I can never say her name. Um, and then also we have uh, Airplane, which came out in 1980, uh, starring Leslie Nielsen, Julie Haggerty, Robert Hayes, and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar makes that hilarious cameo <laughs> in there. Um, both of these, I mean, just uh, it's almost impossible to pick. Christmas Vacation I, I, again, another movie I can't imagine watching, um, not watching at Christmas. You know, just from the opening thing, anybody who's been in a road rage battle understands go with that. 
So, um, an interesting fact, though, is during the infamous... Oh, I'm sorry, that's a Christmas story again. Uh, not Christmas vacation. Christmas vacation... Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, so, Chevy Chase, when he does his famous rant at the end of the movie about his boss, was mostly ad-libbed, but off-screen, each family member held a sign that Chase could read that had an adjective that he was supposed to uh, include in his rant. And then we have... Uh, Airplane also. Where was airplane on this thing? Or is that that's not my movie? Is that? That was my movie, but I don't have a fact for it. So. Oh, I'm sorry. I do have one for airplane here. So the actors and actresses who had previously never done comedy in that movie were specifically chosen for airplane. They wanted them to play their serious roles to make the film more funny, and I think that uh, um, paid off really well. You know, really good casting choices. Uh, Leslie Nielsen nailed all of his points. And uh, then he got, also this was Ethel Merman's final film before she died. So those are those two movies, Miss Mercy Warren, Mrs. Mercy Warren. So Christmas Vacation is one of my absolute favorite Christmas movies. I watch it multiple times every year. It doesn't even have to be Christmas. And I will say it is my favorite movie of the vacation saga, if that's the right word. It is my favorite one. I just think it's just solid from beginning to end has so many iconic scenes from the sledding scene the driving when they're going to get the tree all those iconic little moose mugs that they're drinking eggnog out of the squirrel um scott barnes and i actually have um couples ugly christmas sweaters that say why is the carpet all wet todd i don't don't know know, (laughs) Margot. and i force him to wear it on christmas and some other events too Um, As far as Airplane is concerned, that is also a very strong, funny 80s comedy. It feels just very random in places, which I kind of actually like that. And the jokes are just kind of, I just kind of like the randomness of it as well. You ever seen a grown man naked to me? (laughs) 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 Ever been to a Turkish bathhouse? (laughs) It's just like out of left field. So funny. Okay, Lawson's. So this could have been as like the finale of our movie picks. I think they're both that good. Um, Christmas Vacation. I just think it's. By the way, it was Christmas Vacation grossed uh, seventy-four million dollars at the box office. I'm sure it's gone up since then because it's played like I said so often. And I also watch it every Christmas. I'm sure we both do. And then Airplane made hundred seventy-one million dollars. So really strong showing for Airplane at the box office. Uh, so yeah, Christmas Vacation. I just think it's funny that the family stayed for like what like five days. Yeah. Like it's not just like a one or two day thing. It's like it's like almost like a week. So I can kind of I kind of give Chevy Chase a little bit of like I kind of give him some slack. Like I would probably be going crazy too if all my relatives are over for like five days at my house and you know it's it also seemed like it was very cramped quarters the whole time. So, uh, but I love the brother in that movie and just like the way he gets on Clark's nerves the whole time is just just hilarious and. The Chris, obviously, the, the most famous part is probably the Christmas lights on the house. Oh yeah, <laughs> yep. Like cutting off the power to the rest <laughs> of the city. And, uh, I love the grandma saying like the Pledge of Allegiance. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, I mean, if you haven't seen these movies, just go 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 see that one. <laughs> Who um, hasn't seen that movie? Seriously, yeah. Yeah, and then Airplane is like I said, it's almost it's kind of similar to Naked Gun. If you've seen that movie, same kind of humor. Uh, I agree, it is a little bit more disjointed, but. I mean, it's just just like Naked Gun. It's just kind of like just quick jokes over and over and over again, and just little 
little things that honestly you almost have to watch the movie like maybe twice to yeah. even catch like, all the little jokes and nuances of the movie uh, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar scene is really hilarious. <laughs> I, I like the parts where the guy goes, like, I picked the wrong week to quit smoking, or I picked the wrong week to quit, quit drinking. drinking. Yeah. Um, just like the, the scene where the girl's singing, with the, or the scene with the girl and the, the guitar, and she knocks off the IV to the person, and the, the autopilot scenes, uh, just the, fl- the flashbacks that he has, just great movies overall. So watch them both. tough pairing um christmas vacation it's very nostalgic to me we would when i was younger watch it with family i think um mr Lass and i watch that every year it's just a great not just a christmas movie it's just like a great movie in general and um one of my other favorite parts that wasn't mentioned is when clark wants to put in a pool but he gets the letter <laughs> And it's a subscription to the Jelly of the Month Club. <laughs> <laughs> he goes haywire and crazy. That just, like, tips them off. So that's one of my favorite parts. Um, Airplane, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I really enjoyed it. Like we said, it's that quick-witted humor. Um, two of my favorite parts is when the stewardess offers this guy a cup of coffee and the wife is, like, Jim never has a second cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. that, that's kind of one that I will quote a lot with like family members. And then also the fact that the grandma is like the only one that can speak jive on the plane. Yeah. Not like a politically correct humor for these days, but still pretty funny. Um, off to voting. Alrighty. I mean... Uh, something that I was, it was funny too about Airplane was Airplane was so good beating out the other two movies, uh, Blues Brothers and Caddyshack, that it actually killed Doug Keeney, who was the writer of Caddyshack and uh, Animal House and you know, one of the founding people of Mad Magazine. It was so good it actually made him commit suicide. I mean, that's crazy when you think about it. There's a, also a great kind of mockumentary starring Will Forte about that. He was upset that his movies lost to Airplane? Is that why he committed suicide? Well, because he Airplane was everything that he wanted it to be, and he got so depressed over it that his movie bombed so badly compared to it that, yeah, it's, it spun him into a pit of depression. And the person that like his friends and family tried to get him to get out of that with was Chevy Chase, who <laughs> probably not your best person you want not to get you to drink. And, yeah, he uh, famously went to Hawaii to try to get better, and then uh, he jumped off one of the cliffs over there and as one of the people said at his funeral, um, knowing Doug Keeney, he probably slipped finding a place to jump to kill himself. So <laughs> he uh, he died pretty horribly. <laughs> so, but having said that, uh, I love Airplane, but Christmas Vacation just gets the vote in my opinion. Both are very good movies, but Christmas Vacation gets the vote in my opinion as well. Yeah, I'll vote for Christmas Vacation just because it's something I probably watch more often, but... Again, no slight to Airplane. Airplane, I think, could have been a finalist. It's that, it's that funny of a movie. And like I said, if you like Naked Gun, I think Airplane might be a little bit better, honestly. So go watch it. Agreed. Yeah, my vote's also for Christmas Vacation. Tough pairing. Both great movies. But that one just has seen a little bit more. Yeah, maybe if we uh, can't all agree on four movies to add in from the outside, like I said, maybe Airplane's one we can probably bring back because I agree with you. That should probably make it into the uh, next round. So, but to 
continuing to group three now after we finish off group two there we won't do all of group three uh to save some time so we'll only do a few of these um but again another kind of tough choice right off the bat here first time i said right off the bat they're out there trying to be uh make that into a drinking game people but we got uh number 17 uncle buck versus number 18 beverly hills cop so uncle buck came out in 1989 starring john candy we've said his name a lot macaulay culkin and Amy Madison. Not a lot of huge names at the time, but John Candy kind of really uh, could carry that movie. Um, let's see. Here we got, for Uncle Buck, this is kind of interesting. Even though, like, John Candy makes that movie. But Danny DeVito, Tom Cruise, Dan Aykroyd, George Wendt, Michael Keaton, and Ed O'Neill were all considered to play his part at some point. Which I think is insane. I mean, especially Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Those would have been terrible choices. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, uh, you can't do that movie without John Candy. Um, so, besides that, uh, let's see, Beverly Hills Cop. So, Beverly Hills Cop, oh yeah, Beverly Hills Cop was, um, again, like the movie that kind of launched Eddie Murphy's career. I mean, you, you just came out with Trading Places the year before, and he was able to steal the uh, scene with this one. Uh, it was the first of seven Eddie Murphy movies uh, to open at number one in the box office. It was the highest grossing R-rated film in the U.S. for 19 years until, shockingly, Matrix Reloaded came out and beat it. And another thing with uh, Beverly Hills Cop 2, it's it's kind of unbelievable for a lot of it. You have to kind of uh, define, uh, you know, uh, get rid of your sense of... Uh, disbelief. Disbelief, thank you. Suspend your disbelief because a lot of it doesn't really make sense. But it was, it was improvised so much by Eddie Murphy and so funny that many of the cast members had to pinch themselves. If you see a lot of the cast members, uh, uh, like uh, John Ashton or Judd Reinhold, they're, when their hands are in their pocket, they're literally pinching themselves so they don't laugh because the cast and crew would ruin so many takes trying to film that movie. And Eddie Murphy was so funny that they couldn't. They wasted so many hours of film, they couldn't get through it. So they literally had to start hurting themselves to keep from laughing. Uh, Mercy Warren. So in true Mercy Warren fashion, we had to get to a set of pairings where I've never seen either of them. So You had a chance to see Uncle Buck. Oh, I did. I was being annoying last night and didn't want to watch it. But um, I know that Macaulay Culkin's in that one, and I think it like launched his career with getting Home Alone and stuff, because I know John Hughes was the director for both of those. So I, I will definitely for sure watch that. I do, I do like watching Macaulay Culkin as a child. Creep. <laughs> like, in his movies in yeah. the late 80s and early 90s. Yeah. Um, as, far as far as Beverly Hills Cop goes, um, I do enjoy some vintage Eddie Murphy as well. So, I'll definitely put that on the to-do list. Lawsons. Well, so, Mercy, you should definitely watch Uncle Buck. I feel like... People who are, like, fans of all these Mercy movie picks that she makes in all these different brackets, um, I just kind of, like, fits. Uncle Buck has a lot of heart to it. I mean, it's just, it's just like, a feel-good comedy. And I think, as Scott Barnes mentioned, the other people that would have been casted as the lead would have been horrible. Because John, you just kind of, like, you end up just loving John Candy in the end. Um, so, like, just a quick synopsis, like, basically the, it's, like, middle-class parents... Uh, like, I think somebody's fa in the family dies, and they can't find another babysitter. They tried everywhere, and so they have to ask, like, the I think it's the father's brother. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and they're not very close to him. Like, they haven't talked to him. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they're kind of like an upper-middle-class family, and 
he is just barely scraping by. And, he likes uh, to go to the racetrack. Yeah, one of those. Yeah, one of those people. Um, and just, uh, just he takes over. He like really takes over the babysitting duties, and he has to make breakfast, and it's pretty hilarious. And he, um, he takes them to like a bowling alley, and the kids are just like appalled by his friends. And uh, one of the funniest parts is when, because uh, he, he actually be it's kind of nice, the heartwarming part is he really establishes a relationship with like both the kids that yeah. he's watching. The there's three of them. The eldest daughter, and then there's the two young kids. Okay, I forgot about the, I forgot about one of the kids. Yeah. yeah, I know the the one daughter. She has this boyfriend whose name is Bug. Yeah, Bug. <laughs> and he Bug, keeps messing with him. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like a just kind of like a creepy guy a little bit. And yeah, he's a jerk. Mm-hmm. And uh, he threatens like the guy with a hatchet. And he has like a I think a scene with like a a, a screwdriver or something like High, that. I mean, power just, drill at the very end. Right? Oh my god! Yeah, power drill. Yeah. So I mean, it just. But, like, he does all those things, but he does it in such a heartwarming, like, protective way. And I said, by the end, um, it's just, you just end up loving him in that movie. So, one of my favorites. And then Beverly Hills Cop, I talked about Uncle Buck's movie quickly. Um, Beverly Hills Cop made over $317 million at the box office. So, huge success. Uh, like, like you said earlier, Scott, Eddie Murphy just carries this movie. Does such a great job. Uh, the banana in my tailpipe is... That's probably one of the classic jokes for yeah. the movie. Um, and it, it has, like, that iconic soundtrack. And I think it actually won uh, it won a Grammy for a little bit of the... I think it wasn't even... I don't know if it was even the soundtrack, but some of the music in it was just... Mm-hmm. It was... There's that kind of... Like... Alrighty. Thank you, guys. Sorry about the slight hiccup there. Um, we thank uh, Mr. Patrick Henry for fixing that for us, if there was one at all. So... <laughs> So we have, um, even though uh, Beverly Hills Cop was my pick, I have to go with Uncle Buck here. Uh, it's just the better of the two movies, I think, in my opinion. And Beverly Hills Cop was a great movie, but Uncle Buck, uh, we chose these randomly too, you know, so uh, into the bracket, and Uncle Buck's just stronger, in my opinion. My gut is telling me to vote for Uncle Buck, so Uncle Buck. <laughs> we are both voting for Uncle Buck because we just love that movie so much. All right, fantastic job there, everybody. So, let's see here. As we get into group three further, number 19, we have Night Shift versus number 20, Ghostbusters. So, Night Shift came out in 1982, uh, starring Henry Winkler, Michael Keaton, and Shelley Long. Um, I mean, it's a movie that I've only seen this movie once, and I saw it when I was younger. So a lot of the jokes didn't really land on me at the time. And what's really funny is that I saw this movie before I mostly saw Happy Days. And I couldn't believe that Henry Winkler was the same guy who played both of those characters. Um, Just absolutely crazy, in my opinion, that he was so different from the Fonz in that movie. Um, I think I'd probably, I'd like to watch it again now, probably to get a better perspective of it. Um, but a fun fact about Night Shift is that it had a lot of firsts for the actors in that film. It was the first time Ron Howard directed a movie. It was the first big movie for Kevin Costner and uh, Shannon Dottery. It was also a breakout role for Michael Keaton. He was so perfect, if I remember correctly, next to Henry Winkler. Um, I really, I remember that stood out to me too, is him playing that character, uh, Chuck, I believe. Um, so also it was kind of interesting is John Belusi was offered the role of Bill, 
But he turned it down and later died while that movie was being produced. So he, I mean, that would have been, it, that movie might not have happened because if John Belushi was in there and he died before it was made, uh, they probably would have shut down production. Or I, I don't know if they would have time to bring in Henry, Henry Winkler. But then Ghostbusters, of course, 1984, starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Harold Ramis, Sigourney Reaver, Ernie Hudson, Rick Moranis, and Annie, Annie Potts. Um... So I like the second one better, I think, uh, especially as a kid, I like the second one better. It just seemed more kid-friendly, the second one, but the first one had a lot more adult, not weird, like, you know, they were smoking a lot, and they cut down on the smoking in the second one, And um, but it was really fun. Uh, Harold Ramis and Dan Aykroyd played their parts so perfectly. Harold Ramis never smiled one time in the entire movie, if you go back and watch that. That's actually something he made his character not do. So that is my point. Mercy. Okay, so I have not seen Night Shift, but I, of course, have seen Ghostbusters. Um, I watched it, actually, for the first time a couple months back. Um, there's also, we were talking about on Netflix, that movies that made us show with Back to the Future. There is also an episode that talks about Ghostbusters. So anytime we have that, it's just important that if you're interested in movies and that kind of documentary side of it, I would recommend watching that. Ghostbusters... It's just a fun, feel-good movie. Um, Bill Murray's character is a little much for me, I feel like, in that movie. Cause in, especially in the second movie, it feels like he hasn't learned or grown at all. So, I mean, the character character growth is a little stunted for me. But as far as just being a fun, feel-good movie, I I do would recommend watching it. I know that they're making a fourth one, actually. Or is or third one. There's actually one coming out in September, I believe. It's called, like, Resurgence or Rebirth or something like that. That'll be coming out in September, I believe, I saw. So, um, yeah. Reboot. <laughs> Lawson's. <laughs> Someone has to start doing reboots. So, I mean, we picked two movies in this segment. I mean, Ghostbusters earned over $295 million, and that might actually be a low estimate. I think, I think it did even better um, as time went on. And then Night Shift only earned 22, so yeah. one of the lower box office hits. Um, I picked this one, you know, I actually had um, mono in high school, and I was out of school for about two months in it during that time because I didn't really react well to it. And my parents picked out a bunch of movies for me to watch. A bunch of these are actually on this, on this list. But one of them that they picked out was Night Shift, and, which is a very weird movie for, like, I'm pretty sure my mom picked this movie out. And I went back to, like, look about this movie, and it's, like, it's classified as, like, a sex comedy. So I think that's just kind of a funny thing for my mom to, yeah, it's like, oh, here, watch this in high school. But, like you said, it's just kind of like a, it's all, it should be more of a cult classic than it is in a way. Because, like you said, uh, Michael Keaton, I thought, did a, a fantastic job in this movie. And it was, like, it kind of helped make him a star. I think, I think other directors saw yeah. his performance, like, wow, this guy can actually carry a movie by himself. Uh the movie is about two people that work in a morgue and it basically they turn into a brothel and they try and <laughs> hide that fact from you know the authorities and there's just a bunch of you know comedy that ensues with that so it's funny uh ghostbusters i think it's one of probably the coolest movies of the 80s obviously the iconic sa- you know song with the opening and uh you know i won't go into that because it's such a famous movie so i'll pass it over to lady blossom Thank you. Um, I have to put Night Shift on my um, watch list as well. That's one that actually I, I never even heard of until Mr. Lawson 
said it was one of his movies that he picked. Like, okay, it's, yeah, it sounds like it has a good cast. Um, Ghostbusters, again, like Mr. Lawson said, it's one of those cool new movies. Uh, well, newer movies of that time. Um, just a couple fun facts. Chevy Chase and Michael Keaton were both uh, considered for the uh, Bill Murray role. And um, Eddie Murphy and John Candy also turned down roles for the movie as well as um, a couple of the main characters. So uh, just a couple of fun facts. So over to the voting. All right. Well said, guys. And I'm actually going to throw a monkey wrench into this whole thing. And the more I look back on it, um, I actually think that Night Shift is better than Ghostbusters. I'm, I'm actually, I need to rewatch it again, but from what I remember from the two, um, I'm actually going to go with uh, Night Shift. Just to fact check what I just said, Ghostbusters Afterlife comes out on November 11th, 2021, and um, Courtney Weaver, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, and Ernie Hudson will all be reprising their roles as well as some new other people. As, um, Annie Potts will be as well. And my vote is for Ghostbusters. Even though I picked Night Shift as one of my movies, uh, and I think it's underrated, we are both voting for Ghostbusters to advance. Wow. I was a little surprised by that, actually, because uh, I had a tiebreaker ready here because I thought we might vote for uh, Night Shift. But Night Shift would have actually been crushed by Ghostbusters on IMDb. It only got a 6.6 out of 10 compared to Ghostbusters 7.8. So everybody with that one, I think just for time restrictions, we'll probably end the episode now. Um... We were going to do another one on this bracket, but I think this is a good place to end it so we don't wear everybody out, uh, especially you, the listeners. We want you to come back. Looking forward to the next episode. It's going to be big versus this is Spinal Tap. So everybody has to sit on that one for a little while. But again, thank you all out there for listening. Um, with that, do we have a Lost in the Scoop of the Week? Well, I had a bunch of sports takes, but I feel like I'll save that for another podcast. Um but I just wanted to get your thoughts on Space Jam 2 real quick. Uh, not the most successful movie that, that's ever come out. So I just wanted to get a quick take on that. Well, no, it did uh, beat Black Widow um, the weekend it came out. And honestly, Scott Barnes uh, thought this was a pretty good movie. He actually liked it. Uh, I thought it was a, a good family film. Uh, there's many, maybe others out there who uh, you know don't have the name Scott Barnes who wouldn't like this movie as much. But I think that Scott Barnes actually enjoyed it. LeBron James, you know, he's not an actor, but he did what he could. And uh, it was nice to see how he encouraged his kids in the end of that to kind of pursue their dreams the right way. Don Cheadle, too. I don't care what people said. Don Cheadle can do no wrong. He nailed it. Okay, so um, I'm going to weigh in here. Um, I watched this movie with Scott Barnes, and those weren't exactly the sentiments that were echoed. I just feel like this movie was not, um, it was not made for a bunch of 30-year-olds. It was made towards recapturing kids. And just like the original Space Jam was for us. It captured the inner kid in me. Yeah, I, I know for a fact that Scott Barnes, basically, it's almost the exact opposite of how we feel about this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he said that he did not want LeBron James to play for his basketball team uh, after this movie. He better, he better never come to Phoenix, I'll say that. Yes. So, I, I just think that, I, my, my quick take is that it's not as bad as people are making it out, just because I think, like you, like I think uh, Mercy mentions, 
the original Space Jam is not as good as our generation really thinks it is. It's just it's just kind of an average movie. Uh, Don Cheadle's performance in this movie was absolutely horrible. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. The way it took it took like way too long to get to the Looney Tunes characters, and I really think it was kind of a bad year for LeBron to release this movie. I think if he releases this after like maybe like 2016, 2017, um, even like his maybe right after when he like signed with the Lakers, maybe I think it would have been much more popular. But after his recent like political comments and like you know the Lakers didn't really do that well this year, I just think it was kind of a poor year for him to pick. Or for them to pick to release this movie, so I don't. I think if like if like Seth Curry was like the head of this movie or was a star in this movie, I don't think people would be as harsh about it. I think people, a lot of people, just are anti-LeBron after a lot of his, again, political political comments, and I think people are just kind of, I think people are just kind of more tired of LeBron when mm-hmm. compared to when the original Space Jam was was you know opened. Michael Jordan was like in his prime and a superstar, and I think was like way more popular among the general public. So. I guess that's like our quick take on the movie. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I think probably uh, the one of the biggest criti- criticisms of the first Space Jam was uh, thinking that Michael Jordan lived in that small suburban home, and you know. But then LeBron, right off the bat, they show him in that gigantic mansion that he has, <laughs> which he's like, "Nope, I'm not gonna fib on that one." So, and yeah, actually, uh, these people know me well. I thought that was an atrociously horrible movie, mm-hmm. one of the worst ever created. And LeBron James should spend at least three hours in hell for agreeing to do that. So you should also mention the amount of Warner Brothers marketing that was thrown into that movie. Yeah, way too much marketing, and I just think the HBO, the movies that have come out on HBO Max have not been very successful um, overall. Agreed. Yeah. So I'll end it with that. All right. Well, thank you guys. Thank you, Mr. Lawson, Mercy Lawson. Um, I'm sorry. Oh my gosh, did I mix up all the names here? Mr. Lawson, (laughs) Mrs. Lawson. It has been a long week, people. Mercy Warren. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. Um, but thank you all out there. We had a fantastic, fun time here, and we look forward to hearing and uh, having you all with us for part two when we continue the bracket and pick a ultimate 80s comedy movie winner. So with that, thank you. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, RG3, I mean RD3 Productions at Yahoo.com, and listen to us on uh, Spotify and all the other stations. We're out there. Thank you all again. Play us out, Mr. Solomon Black. Dying of thirst, trying to find an oasis Finally paying for all the time that I've wasted I said life is a race, but I was driving Miss Daisy See, the truth will shine a light on all your lies if you facing it So that's why you might hate me At a party, won't play this If I tried to be basic, I would finally be famous I could be crowned for a favor I could be drowning in paper I could have all the kingdoms of the world I'm bound on the saying Matthew 4, 9, if you doubt what I'm saying Matthew 6, 6, keep it down while I'm praying Revelation 1, 9, I'm on an island, come and save me